0: This episode of The Yarn is sponsored by Heinemann in their professional book, A Teacher's Guide to Reading Conferences. Colby talked with author Jennifer Saravallo about the book. My book's about conferring, uh, which is such an important topic for me. It's the first book I ever wrote was about conferring, and it's really exciting to be able to return to the topic. Um, and I think it's such an important thing for teachers to feel good at and uh, it's such an important practice to make sure we make time for every day in the classroom, Um, conferring in reading, conferring in writing, conferring in math, Um, this idea of a one-on-one conversation with students to really get to know them better, to follow their interests and acknowledge their strengths and nudge them along with next steps. Connecting with students about their learning is one of the most meaningful things a teacher can do. A teacher's guide to reading conferences will show you how to make that time even more powerful. Visit Heineman.com to learn more and order a copy.
1: Hi, my name is Metali Perkins, and I am the author of many books. And the newest that I want to talk to you about today is called Between Us and Abuela, and it's published by Macmillan Books FSG.
0: Welcome to The Yarn, a School Library Journal production. I'm Travis Yonker. I sat down with Metali Perkins last summer in Washington, D.C. to discuss her latest picture book, between Us and Abuela, a family story from the border, illustrated by Sarah Palacios. In this episode, Metali shares her inspiration for the story, the challenges of writing a nuanced picture book about the U.S.-Mexico border, and the creative boost a coffee shop can provide. It's time to unravel Between Us and Abuela, a family story from the border.
1: An Abuela is the story of a girl and her grandmother and how uh, she really wants to see her grandmother. Uh, I don't know about you, but I grew up far away from my grandmothers. It's one of the losses, I think, of an immigrant life. You grow up with your grandmothers far away. I only saw my grandmothers twice before I became an adult. And so I, I envision what it would be like to see your grandmother um, after five years. Maria and her brother are going to go down to the border and they're going to meet their grandmother, who's on the other side. And uh, it's a story of her excitement and also her desire to celebrate Christmas with her grandmother, especially a holiday that is particular to um, Mexican-American families called uh, Las Posadas. And so she's excited to see, see your grandmother and celebrate with her that Christmas holiday. in california we're a border state and so that uh, many of my friends have have um relatives who are on the other side of that of our border and our border fence la frontera and uh, so it's a natural thing to think about when you're living in a border state because families are often separated by that border now i was separated by pr- my parents my grandparents were far away in india but there's also the issue of money to see your grandparents and so i understood what it was like not to grow up with a grandparent and i think it is as i said a loss and so, uh, being in California, you, you, you feel the presence of La Frontera, very, very much a part of the fabric of our life. So I wanted to set that separation of a child from her grandmother along that border. I uh, heard a, heard something on the radio about a grandmother. There's a, a celebration that happens at Christmas on the border. It's called La Posada Sin Frontera. And it's about uh, the celebration of uh, Mary and Joseph and looking for a place to have their baby. It happens all around Mexico and other parts of Latin America. And so it happens at the border, and it's a celebration, a joint worship service, really, about... Uh, where people on the Tijuana side and people on the San Diego side celebrate together. I'd heard about that. I'd always been intrigued because it seems like it's such a divisive place, the border. It's there. A fence is there to divide. And yet there's this incredible event that brings people together and unifies people. And the place where they meet is called Friendship Park. Um, It was established by First Lady Nixon, First Lady Pat Nixon in 1971. There was a small barbed wire fence there and um, Mrs. Nixon said, you know, let's cut the barbed wire fence because her hope was that there would never be a need for a barrier. And of course, since then, the barrier's gotten thicker and higher and deeper and wider. And so um, that is, that's the setting. And I've always been intrigued by settings. I mean, to be, uh, and All of my stories explore borders. And so a place where that division is so clear and yet a place where people come together and are unified and feel that oneness of, of our humanity, that was very intriguing to me. What changed was the setting. I wrote the story a while ago, Travis. It was a while. And so since then, as you know, a friendship park, ironically named in some ways, used to be quite open. You could just have picnics there. You could walk to Iwana's side to the side. And the walls have been, every administration's built a, a different set of walls. The Clinton administration built a wall. The Obama administration built another longer wall into the ocean. And now, of course... The, the tensions there make it even harder to meet your family at in Friendship Park. So while I wrote the book, I think I wrote it originally in 2013, um, since then things have changed even further. Grace and I went to visit and were a part of the service this, or took part in the service this last December. We couldn't even get into Friendship Park. It was cl- totally closed. Ironically, Friendship Park is now completely closed. Uh, So we couldn't have that worship service. We had to actually have a separated worship service last December. So that's changed. The story really didn't change. The story of a girl who really is trying to figure out a way to get her gift to her grandmother and wants to show her grandmother that she loves her. Some kids, you know, have the love language of gifts. They want, that's very important to them to give your grandmother an actual gift that you made with your own hands is the way that you say, I love you. Te amo. You know, I love you, abuela. And that uh, is what she's that kind of a kid. And so she didn't change. Her character didn't change, and the plot didn't change. What changed was the situation. So it got more complicated because getting a gift across the border is extremely complicated. And so her her challenge, it maybe in real life, got harder. But uh, but this is an amalgamation of a lot of those worship services over the years. It's, uh, so it it provided a way to say uh, to offer that hope that you can that love can make it across that border. The border that's getting deeper and thicker and wider and stronger, love will not stop, be stopped by that. I feel like I'm growing in my craft when it comes to structure, story structure. I I was a reader growing up. I read a ton. I never did an MFA or anything like that. So I didn't learn the, um, I didn't learn in a classroom about story structure, I imbibed it in my in my reading frenzy. I kind of understood it. So my earlier books have story structure in them, but it's only recently that I've started to externally learn about the nuts and bolts of story structure. And the picture book format is just excellent for that because you know, you, you want that three-act structure and you want the darkest moment and you want the point of no return and you want, you know, all those things that are part of a classic story structure. It's, it's fascinating to play around with that on the picture book level. I feel like it's strengthening my novel writing because it's, a, yeah, and vice versa. I think it's just feeding the idea that stories have structure and that skeleton has worked across cultures and time. And so uh, it's been fun to see that. I took a class on um, online, Khan Academy, I'm a big Pixar fan. I'm a huge Pixar geek. So the Pixar Story Creators offers a, f- offer a free course on storytelling through Khan Academy. And for me, that's kind of the level of MFA Pixar. That's I mean, it's not like le- reading high literature, but I get my mind around Nemo or... So I learned, I did that course, I did it about three times. I did it again and again, and it was just, it was a lot about structure and it really helped me. And so this was... This is, the picture books are a good chance to play around with that and see. I've been good with character and I've been good with place. I love Those Are Naturals, but with plot, I'm really striving to make things more of a page turner. And so the picture books gave me a, a, a place to play around with structure that I've really enjoyed. I like to go to coffee shops. You hear the buzz, the ALA buzz in the background of this interview. I like the background buzz of a coffee shop. It's very creative. It's a creative inducement for me. So there's actually an app you can put on your phone. That's a coffee shop buzz app for creatives. Yeah, they've done studies. I use, uh, I trick my brain with different neuroscience techniques. Like I, if I get stuck, so I, the middle always stupefies and mystifies me. The, mu- the middle, act two of a book. So I, when I'm in act two, I will use the 10-minute writing burst. You know, I don't know if you've heard about the 10-minute habit thing where if there's ever anything you don't want to do, if you just tell yourself I only have to do this for 10 minutes, there's this brain burst that happens. Your brain just has this release moment. And it's also for t- uh, 10 minutes of not doing what you want to do, like, you know, whatever it is, the next bag of potato chips you want to eat. Just in the hypothetical example, of course. But uh, it says, yeah, I, I trick myself. I'd I say you tell you will not get up till you write 1,500 words. So I have all these tricks, but I sit in coffee shops and I write, that's what I do. Especially when I get an email from Grace saying, here's the deadline if you want to make this list. She knows deadlines motivate me. She's had to bring those. Yeah, and that, I, that's the, the, the idea then uh, that it's easy to vilify people. It's easy to, do, as I say, I call it single storying. And I think that's happening throughout our nation right now. As such, the book is a peacemaking book it's a chance to say you can not really single-story anyone and I'm referring to that Chimamanda Adichie TED talk where she talks about the danger of a single story yeah it's wonderful it's older now but it's a wonderful talk it's about how when you just have one thing you're saying Border Patrol agents are all this and uh, separated families are all this, and uh, that political party is this way. Anyone who is that, in that political party is. And that's what's happening across our whole country is that we're all single-storying each other. And so there's nuance in the story that will offend maybe some people to see. It's easy to vilify and say, oh, that those are the bad guys. These are the good guys. We want that bad guy, good guy mentality. But essentially, there's all a little bad guy in all of us and all, some potential for good guy in all of us and so it's a a nuanced look at the possibilities on the border and i wanted to leave that there so that you can't uh, vilify anybody in the situation it's a and that's what the book offers is a more nuanced look at that I think Sarah purposely drew Sarah. She purposely drew one of the border patrol officers to be, uh, you know, to be Latinx uh, in the story, and I think that's important too because most of them are. Most of them are bilingual. Most of them come from both heritages Most of our officers on the California border are Mexican American guys, and so there's that added. You kind of picture them in one way, like they're these beefy white dudes that are, but that's not who is on the border. It is. It is more nuanced, and we we did feel that protection, and so. Um, yeah, it's kind of an invitation into the best that the border could be. It's it's a it's a picture of the reality of what is there, which is a, a big high wall. But it is an invitation to say, you know, it doesn't have to be a place that barricades us from the best that that we can be in this situation. And that's really about las posadas. It's saying, is there any room here? You know, we had to sing that seven times back and forth. Is there any room? The Tijuana side sings, and the American side has to say, "No, there's no room. We have no room." And then finally, the American side gets to say, "Enter pilgrims and let us." And then there's this feasting together, and there's that great moment where everybody's um, united in that in that celebration of posse. It's a beautiful celebration, and so that is. Uh, That's that's the the hope of the book that in that joint celebration of saying, yes, there is room for the pilgrim. There is room for the stranger. There's room for the alien. Let's 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 break bread together and let's let's make room here in Friendship Park. There's room. Right. So it doesn't feel like it right now. And it's easy to be outraged. I get outraged, too. Uh, But I still think if we don't stoke up our hope that it can be better than what it is right now, that we'll lose steam altogether. So we need to keep our hope going uh, in the middle of all of this.
0: Thank you, Matali Perkins, for the interview. Thank you, Philip Stead, for our theme music. Additional music for this episode from Koresma, from the Free Music Archive. Have an idea for the show? You can contact us via email at theyarnpodcast at gmail.com and visit us online at the School Library Journal website. I'm Travis Yonker. Thanks for listening.